Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. Who here wants to live in the fullness of the abundant life that Jesus has promised each of us? If that's your heart's desire and the pursuit of your life, you must start to take notice of a crucial component of how we communicate and the language that we make use of in order to unlock that abundance. Your words have the ability to bring about obstruction or it can be a pathway for freedom. Your words can create an environment of exclusion. Or it can be a word of inclusion. Your words can also establish an atmosphere of depression or of encouragement. The value placed on our words has grown of greater significance in recent times, where issues of cancel culture, hate speech, and the freedom of speech are receiving unprecedented attention today. International relations professor David Mills suggests that the topic of free speech is one of the, of the most contentious issues in democratic societies as we have. This topic regarding our communication is also closely related to the rise of things like social media that we find ourselves on on a daily basis. It's also due to greater social and political divisions and divides and segregation occurring in the world right now. However, this should be of no surprise to us who engage with the house of God um, on a regular basis. Because language is the principal method of human communication. And it has significant consequences for the way each of us experience connection with one another or how we handle adversity or conflict or times when we don't see eye to eye with one another. For the introverts here today, you might be like, you know what, I don't speak so much, so thank God this message doesn't apply to me. If that was your thinking, I have some news for you. According to neuroscience professor Elizabeth um, Romanski, she says that humans utilize multiple modalities during our communication, multiple methods. And we use our face and our voice signals. We make use of our speech and of our gestures. We also make use of our facial expressions when we are busy rolling our eyes or and our vocal tone when we are starting to sound a bit frustrated or even sarcastic. These are all indicators that communication is not something that is merely limited to the verbal or the spoken word. But our entire body language transmits crucial information to those who are in close proximity to us. Human communication research conducted by Albert Mebrain, who is a professor of psychology at the University of California, has found that about 90% of our communication as humans is not based on our verbal cues, but is actually based on non-verbal indicators. These include the tone of our voice and our facial expression. This means that nobody introvert or extrovert or in between, whatever you'd like to call yourself, nobody is exempt of responsibly and strategically making use of how we communicate with one another. This means that the specific words and the language we use is also transmitting crucial information. 
The language that we make use of can be an indicator of our physical or our geographical location, as well as our position in the world and the structures which exist in this world. For example, when you are speaking Mandarin, you most likely have some sort of heritage to um, China or you come from Taiwan. If you are speaking Hindi, there's a high likelihood that your historical roots trace back to India. Or if you are speaking Arabic, this might indicate that you have cultural heritage from the Middle East. Similarly, with industries that exist, we also find that certain terminology is specifically used in certain contexts. For example, economists might make use of highly sophisticated words like inflation that nobody even understands. In soccer and sports, they might make use of terms such as, you know, it might be a penalty kick or the ball might be offside. In the medical field, they might be making use of terms such as surgery or the immune system. This is important because it helps us to locate and also establish ourselves, and it also assists us in identifying where in the environment we ourselves are positioned. This principle is not only true in the physical worlds or in the, in the physical realms that we operate in, but this has deep underlying meanings in the spiritual world that we actually engage in, especially during times when we are worshiping or even times when we are praying. This is a key indicator as well of your, of your, of your, of your spiritual condition, of your emotional state. It says a lot about the way that you speak. Our words, therefore, do not merely uh, convey sets of information, but our words have deeply, deeply powerful impacts on other people around us. Based on how we make use of our words, they have the power to either burden the next person's spirit, the next person's entire condition, or they can actually be a source of encouragement, a source of upliftment to people who might actually be in desperate need of it. Plainly put, our words can either bring forth immense destruction or our words can be a pathway of life and a pathway of hope. Taking this to the Bible, which specifically places great emphasis on the words that we use and even also how dangerous at times our words can be. In the book of James 3 verse 5 to 6, it says that likewise, this tongue of ours is a small part of the, of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is actually set on fire by just a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of our body. And I actually think that this does not only refer to our physical body, but also the body of Christ. It has the ability to corrupt the entire body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself, quite hectically, on, set on fire by hell itself. We are only getting started and I'm checking, sheesh, the Bible literally equates our tongue to a fire. Just reading the scripture, I'm personally already starting to reconsider every word that I've spoken. You know, every inappropriate joke I've made because nobody was looking, um, every opinion, this one's heavy, that we tend to so boldly voice about people, other people, about situations and even of systems that we do not necessarily agree with and have critical views about. 
It is an important reminder that our words carry enormous power. A power so great that Jesus, the OG himself, addressed this specific issue. In the book of Matthew, we are presented with a situation where a group of Pharisees, and these Pharisees, you know, they were like these elitist um, religious scholars who just knew everything that was written um, in the, you know, Judean, Judaism books and so forth. They were being extremely hostile to, to Jesus, who was constantly, you know, performing miracles. Jesus was bringing healing to many people. And they were constantly critical of every action and every, um, you know, word that he even spoke. And finally, Jesus decides, you know what, Jesus takes a minute, he has, he has time today. Jesus decides to actually confront the critical comments that they have constantly been making. In Matthew 12, verse 34 to 37, Jesus says to these Pharisees, You have minds like a snake pit. How do you suppose what you say is worth anything when you are so foul-minded? Jesus goes on to crucially highlight that it is your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to the words that you use. A good person produces good deeds and words season after season, whether it's going good or even when it's going bad. An evil person, however, is a blight on the orchard. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words, and in other translations it makes use of the term idle words, words that mean nothing, will come back and is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning, of reckoning a time of accountability. Words are powerful and therefore we should be taking them seriously. Words can be your salvation, however, words can also be your damnation. Jesus reminds these self-righteous Pharisees of a crucial point. That it is from our hearts that our words actually flow. That if there are things like bitterness, if there is impatience, Solon I'm speaking to today, if there is jealousy in your heart, you best believe eventually it will be revealed by the words, by the body language and by the attitude and the mentality that we portray. At the same time, however, there can be grace, there can be kindness, there can even be gentleness placed in our hearts. And it will eventually be of such abundance that it has the ability to overflow to the people who are nearest, the people who are dearest to us. Jesus himself understood how revealing our words can be of our true character. Not the public facade we come with um, to work, not on Sundays when we find ourselves smiling the brightest, but of our true character. For those of us who are engaging with the house of God today, whether we are serving or we are leading, or whether you're the pastor of the church, Pastor Grant, or whether you are merely a visitor for the first time today, God presents us with a rather... Um, Quite, challenge, uh, quite hectic challenge um, in James 1 verse 19, where it says, Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone, no one excluded, be quick to hear. Be a careful and a thoughtful listener. Be slow to speak. A speaker of carefully chosen words. And be slow to anger. Instead, it encourages us to be patient. We should be reflective and forgiving in our speech. 
It is important for us to remember that if we are not speaking with carefully, strategically chosen words, we could potentially inflict wounds on ourselves and those who are closest to us. In communities like ours, in families, in friend circles, an underestimated danger is the normalization of something called gossip. The Bible strongly actually warns us about this in Proverbs 16, verse 28, where it states that gossip is no good. It only causes hard feelings and comes between friends. Divisive language such as this has the potential to hinder our growth, it has the potential to prevent our healing, and it has the potential to slow down progress that we are constantly engaging with. This thing permeates through all spheres, it permeates through our public, it permeates through our private lives as well. It is therefore crucial to ask ourselves if the words we are constantly releasing from our hearts and from our mouths reflects the mercy and grace that God has given us first. This is something he, he, he has extended to us first. When we are communicating, we should be choosing words that have the ability to build up people and to be a source of faith and a source of life. Hebrews 11 verse 3 highlights that it is by, by faith we understand that the universe has been created by a word from God so that the visible we observe right now came into existence from the invisible. This relates back to all the way at the start of the Bible in the book of Genesis where literally nothing Something was created out of nothing. Our observable universe right now was the result of a word. God has similarly entrusted you and me with the same incredible gift. A gift that requires great responsibility. This gift of being able to voice, of being able to communicate over our physical and spiritual worlds can bring immense transformation. Did you know that the now commonly you know, popularized term abracadabra, which is commonly used by magicians and even clowns, ironically, and also takes place like in movies and TV shows, this term actually has, is deeply rooted in the Semitic language of Aramaic. So this language of Aramaic was actually spoken during biblical times and many historians and you know, researchers believe that Aramaic was spoken alongside Hebrew by Jesus himself and even the disciples. This term abracadabra's Aramaic roots means that I create as I speak. This indicates that our words have the ability to actively create our reality. And it compels us, myself included, to consider how much of the distress, how much of the pain of the difficulty and adversity that we have experienced in our present and in our past realities is actually the result of words we've chosen to speak over ourselves, over our friends, over our families. King Solomon, who is considered by many to be the wisest man to have ever lived, 
stated in Proverbs 18 verse 4, that the words of a man's mouth are like deep waters. It is abundant and at times can be difficult to fathom. The, uh, the fountain of mature and importantly godly wisdom is like a bubbling stream. It is described as sparkling, as fresh, and as pure, and as life-giving. Further, it continues in Proverbs 18, verse 21, and it continues to say that death and life are in the power of this tongue that the Bible refers to as fire, that the Bible compares to as fire. And those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of the words. These consequences for some might be positive, but for some it might also be negative. This scripture is useful when navigating and considering the environments we want to create and foster in our homes, in our churches, in our communities of faith like this, in our marriages, in our relationships, and even in the places of work we encounter daily. We are therefore constantly presented with the opportunity to choose whether our communication with others, with the person next to us, will either be harsh and sharp and painful, or whether it will be thoughtful, whether it will be considerate, whether it will be gentle. Colossians 4 verse 6 is so encouraging when it says that we should be, you should be gracious in your speech. The goal of your speech is to bring out the best in others in a conversation and not put them down. Not to cut them out. It is interesting that, you know, Jesus, as always, presents us with the perfect example of what the scripture should look like. In the book of Luke, chapter 23, we encounter an instance where Jesus is about to be um, crucified. And he is undergoing this persecution. Jesus is being wounded. He is being beaten. In, in the book of Matthew, Previously, it even mentions of how the, the, the crowd that was gathering to come and watch what is happening here. Why is this man being beaten? And the Roman soldiers were actually, they, they spat on him. They were insulting him. This is why he's being beaten. Jesus then finds himself about to be crucified alongside two rather guilty, guilty um, criminals. And in Luke 23, verse 34 to 43, it documents this entire event. And Jesus said, while he was being crucified, while he was being beaten and wounded, Jesus said, Father, forgive these people. He says, they don't know what they are doing. They don't know what they are engaging with right now. And while the crowd stood there, Watching Jesus, the soldiers on the side were busy gambling for his clothes once he dies. The leaders of these crowds were insulting him. They were piercing him, not only with physical objects, but with the words. They insulted him by saying, sarcastically, he saved others, but now he should, you know what, he should save himself if he's really um, God's chosen Messiah. If he's really this anointed one. And he's really this, you know, this majestic being. He should save himself then, shouldn't he? And the soldiers were continuing to make fun of Jesus. And they even brought him some wine at one stage. They said, if you are the king of the Jews, Jesus, 
then you should save yourself. Above him on the, on, on the cross, there was even the sign and symbol that was said, that was that read sarcastically that this is Jesus. This guy, he's the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were one of the two that was alongside Jesus being crucified decided that he was about to insult Jesus by saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourselves and save us from death. But the other criminal on the other side, he told the first one off. He was like, don't you fear God? Aren't you getting the same punishment as this, as this man? We, as the criminals, as the guilty ones, we got what was coming to us. But he didn't do anything wrong, and yet he was being persecuted. Then he said to Jesus, begging Jesus, remember me when you come into power. And Jesus' reply in this moment was, I promise that today you will be with me in paradise. While Jesus was hanging on that cross wounded, he was hanging on that cross, cross assaulted, in, assaulted, insulted, and abused. And he was presented with an extremely difficult opportunity to choose his response. Jesus in that moment could have rebuked, he could have, you know, condemned these people for committing these crimes, these violent acts against him. Even the criminals that was alongside him, he could have rejected them. Criminals who were quite literally deserving of it and rather guilty. And he could have done it out of anger. In Jesus, instead, Jesus chooses an alternative. He chooses to respond with mercy. In a moment where he was experiencing great suffering, Jesus, even in his pain, understood the eternal significance of his words. Words that would outlast this moment that he was in. Words that would have generational consequences. Jesus still choose, chose to make use of words that betrayed mercy. Jesus' words reflected forgiveness. His words reflected compassion when it was so easy to be critical. And as a community of faith, we are likewise implored, we are challenged actually by the Apostle Paul, uh, the, the Apostle Peter, my apologies, in 1 Peter 38, 3 verse 8 to 11, where Apostle Peter writes, Finally, all of you, you should be of one mind. You should be sympathetic, lovers of your fellow believers, compassionate and modest in your opinion of yourselves. Similarly to when Jesus had the opportunity to pay back evil for evil, the Apostle Peter says that we should not be paying back evil, abuse with abuse, not even insult for insult. Instead, we should do something so countercultural and we should be executing a blessing to those who are actually insulting us. You and I were called to do this so that you might inherit a blessing. For those who want to love life and see good days should keep their tongue from evil speaking and their lips from speaking lies. They should shun evil. 
and do good. Seek peace and chase after it. It encourages that we should be pursuers of peace. Therefore, church, as I conclude, I would like to encourage you to practice this example displayed throughout the Bible, but also by Jesus himself. By asking yourself this question, by being reflective in your response, and asking this question, where in my life do I need to speak words of forgiveness? Where in my life should I be speaking words of compassion and life? This question is not merely something that is done reactively. As in, an uh, instance occurs and now we respond. An instance occurs and now we make our minds known. This is actually something that should be taking place proactively. Unfortunately, in our humanity, each of us have already experienced times when we have been hurt. Times when the person, you know, inflicting this on us did not even request forgiveness. And it would take of us a proactive step in stating forgiveness to an individual who didn't even ask for it. How difficult is that? This simple act has the potential to bring about opportunities of healing, not only for ourselves, but our relationships and our families and our church. This can resurrect areas which require our attention. Areas that we have chosen because of it being so hurtful or being so difficult, we've just chosen to ignore it, push it aside. I can't deal with this right now. But today we are presented with the opportunity to confront we are presented with this opportunity to choose to no longer avoid, to no longer ignore. And we can now embrace that, those other people, which others might, you know, so easily condemn. In the same way that Jesus chose to speak life into our lives first, while we were so undeserving, while we were so guilty, and while we, we at times even chose to, to push away Him, Jesus still, chose, Jesus still chose us. Jesus still chose to pursue us.